You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Let's do it. Welcome back, Chiefs Kingdom, to another Victory Monday edition of the Out of Structure Podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Matt Stagner joined, as always, by RKJ. Ron, pretty good day at the office yesterday. I would say so. I was not in the office that we call Arrowhead Stadium. Um, you know, shout out Brian Stewart. Actually, he he had he was sitting in my seats, my season ticket seats. So uh, I know he enjoyed that game because man, it's never uh, it's never not fun to just completely whoop the Raiders at home. Um, we've done it a few times in the Andy Reid era, but this might have been one of the most fun ones, Stag. I, I think it might be to have a completely stress free victory. Forty eight to nine was a final score, but this thing was over. From the first snap, the first defensive snap the Chiefs had was a dominant snap by the front seven. Uh, Jaron Reed forces a fumble. Mike Hughes picks it up and runs it back for a touchdown. And this thing was over at that point. At no point from there on did I have any thought that the Raiders were going to come back and even make a game out of this thing. And what the beauty of this, this day, like I said, not only was it stress-free for the whole day, that there was no chance that the Raiders were going to come back and win. But everything went the Chiefs' way. Everything went the way – if you had to draw up a game for this week, this time in the season, against this opponent, this is pretty much what it would look like, right? Yeah, I mean, with the playoff push coming up, I mean, you want – especially. I mean, the, the timing is perfect when you're talking about especially the Thursday night game coming up against the Chargers. Um, you could have used a – you know, a kind of a, a lighter game, a, a mentally more relaxed game in, in terms of, you know, hey, the, the starters were in until the fourth quarter. So, you know, it's not like they got the, the you know, half a day off or anything. Um, but it was still it's still good for them, you know, preparing, you know, in a, on a short week this week, four days to prep for a, a really good team in the Chargers. I know the record doesn't show it, but they could, you know, they're, we've we've seen what they can do, the Chargers. Um, so it's good to have that relaxing win, Stags. And, and one of the main reasons why they had such a relaxing win is because the Raiders. The Raiders <laughs> suck. You heard Arrowhead Stadium uh, chant it as, as the game was going on. I think they, they were chanting it by the by halftime. Um, the Raiders organization right now, this this game just completely encompasses what, what's going on with them right now. And and I think I think the fact that you know, I, I think this was an embarrassing game either way, but they just took it to a whole nother level with their pregame message they tried to send to the Chiefs, standing on the logo. You know, kind of trying to, you know, maybe say something about, hey, we won here last year. You know, it looked like Yannick Ngakwe, a guy that was just signed by the Raiders uh, this season, um, was one of the ones who led that. I think that just kind of shows you their little, the little brother mentality they have, Stags, because to do that, you know, trying to say, hey, you know, we're, we're in this rivalry. This is a, a big thing. Look up little brother syndrome. That's exactly a, a definition of it, is trying to, you know, pump up a rivalry or a relationship in terms of, you know, a, a head-to-head contest more than the other 
other team acknowledges it. The Chiefs would never do a stunt like this, and that's the difference between these two organizations right now. One's a championship contender. The other is going to be looking for their fourth head coach since Andy Reid got to Kansas City. Um, I just want to shout out the Raiders for being a, an incompetent trash fire right now and allowing the Chiefs to get to 9-4 and four this week. Yeah, I've been putting the word rivals in air quotes. And for those of you listening on the podcast, you can't see the air quotes, but it really doesn't feel as much like a rivalry when when it's just complete and utter domination like it was yesterday. There's still the hatred there. Uh, I guess the best equation that, that I can have here as a Mizzou alumni uh, is the seeing Missouri and Kansas play basketball again this last weekend. I mean, oh, sure, yes. it's a rivalry. We still hate you guys. Um, but uh, at no point in time did I have any illusion that the Missouri Tigers were on the same level as the Kansas Jayhawks basketball team this week. So I think it's the same kind of thing is that um, the Raiders came in trying to show that they were on the Chiefs level uh, and, and they simply they simply weren't. And if there was any shortage of motivation this week, given the the fact that the Chiefs are fighting their way back into the playoff picture, that they're now competing for the number one seed, that everything is starting to line up for the Chiefs. And they had a player going through a personal tragedy that is just unimaginable this week. All of those things lined up, and then the Raiders come out and and stomp on the uh, arrowhead at midfield and and try to uh, try to make it something that it wasn't. Uh, they were they were doomed from the jump, but I was just struck by how good a day this was for the Chiefs across the board. Yes, the outcome is exactly what you'd want. Uh, the defense continued to be dominant. The offense found their groove a little bit. The big plays were there. The running backs all scored. They got Josh Gordon involved. I mean, from top to bottom, the stars performed. The role players performed. The backups made plays. They got guys involved who haven't been involved enough yet this year. Uh, they came out without any injuries. I mean, what else could you ask for from from one game? Uh, like you said, maybe more importantly, going into a Thursday night game, they had at least mentally a break, if not physically, getting some guys some rest. And they walked out injury-free. So, you know, pretty good day at the office. Yeah, no, you couldn't have asked for any more perfect of a home game um, right before your your short week when you talk about the, the other games they've played. I mean, think about, you know, this Denver game that happened just this last week happening right before the short week. That was a physical kind of, you know, hey, th- that was another game where they, they kind of had the game in the bag in the second half. But it took a while for that game to truly be in the bag. They had to fight through it. The Cowboys game was a thriller down to, you know, pretty much down to the wire um, in terms of the defense having to make a play at the end to really seal it. Just all these games that they've had in this win streak. It was nice that this game was the one right before the short week. But yeah, I, I just think the Raiders really, really helped out. And one another way the Raiders helped out in, in that sense is just that they just refuse to play the coverages that have given the Chiefs trouble this year. They refuse to adjust their defense. I think Gus Bradley is just super confident in himself. And hey, as a coach, you have to be. He has had some success. I think success is kind of thrown out there when you talk about Gus Bradley against Mahomes in his career. You know, they still won against Gus Bradley, just maybe hasn't been the most, uh, you know, these explosive days that Mahomes has had in his career. Um, and so I think Gus Bradley stuck to his guns a little too much. And that's and that's why we've seen these two results in this past month against the Raiders, these 41-14 and 48-9 to results. And it makes you wonder, Stags, honestly, it does. If this is just because the Raiders are this bad and, and that's why the Chiefs are are looking good so so much against them, but maybe the other teams, 
still having some troubles against in this six game win streak to really just, you know, uh, have these games like against the Raiders where they're winning by 30 points. Um, so it is interesting. The Chargers game will obviously be the ultimate test of that because if they went, if they went in convincing fashion that game, then the AFC West is in a wrap and, 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 you know, the Chiefs are all the way back. But it is, you know, we do have to have a caution maybe that this Chiefs team is beating up on the Raiders, who I already called the trash fire. I'll call them again because I think they deserve it right now. Um, and, and it does seem like we, we do need to see it against another team. It's, it's, it's just the Raiders they've really beat up on. Sure, that's fair. I mean, this team obviously has had their share of struggles this year. Um, the Kansas City Chiefs have, and they've they've done they've had some of their worst games against some of their biggest opponents in the biggest situations. So, uh, I, I think something's changed since then. A lot of it has to do with the defense. Um, a lot of it, you know, again, had to do with the play of Patrick Mahomes, and and it's good to see him playing uh, more like the guy that that we know that he is. You had a good stat on that. Uh, that too high safety look or the way that the Raiders tried to play the chiefs. Yeah, no, I'm glad you, you brought that up again. And cause that's a perfect way to quantify um, the, the thing I'm talking about with Gus Bradley. So uh, Mike Clay of ESPN tweeted out the chiefs have faced two high safeties less than 40% of the time in only two games this season, both games against the Raiders, which was a roughly about a quarter of the time in the game. So even just less than 40%, they're actually going all the way to 28 and 24% of the time in these games they are playing too high stuff. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, the Raiders just failed to adjust and, and the Chiefs are taking advantage of that. I still think we haven't seen them do this kind of game against a team that's willing to commit more to playing those too high coverages and, and, and you know, taking away intermediate and deep passes more than the Raiders are, are seemingly wanting to. I mean, it, it, is, it is just the Raiders being stubborn, in my opinion. Um, I still want to give the Chiefs credit, obviously, but it does seem like the Raiders are really helping the Chiefs out by just continuing to do what they do, which the Chiefs know how to beat them. They've been playing against Gus Bradley, whether it's in Oakland or the Raiders or with the Chargers uh, for most of Andy Reid's tenure. Yeah, I mean, and to quantify that a little bit more, again, continuing with Mike Clay's information there, uh, the Chiefs scored 41 points in Week 10, 48 points in Week 14, compared to 23.8 in their other 11 games on average. I'm not sure it's a direct causation, but there's certainly a lot of correlation there, right? I mean, there's there's other factors at play, other variables like how terrible the Raiders are, but there's 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 other variables at play there, like the the Chiefs figuring out the turnover battle. I mean, to to be plus five uh, yeah. without a turnover this week, I mean that makes all the difference in the world. You go back to the first Chargers game, and that's a totally different operation. If, uh, if the Chiefs don't turn the ball over their first three possessions uh, in that game. So there's a lot of things that the Chiefs have improved upon. Uh, again, taking care of the football being one of them, Mahomes' accuracy being another one. Uh, but, you know, they, they certainly can can only play the opponent in front of them. And, and you just kind of wish they could play the Raiders more often. Yeah, shout out Rocky. Uh, he made a good point on on the the Arrowhead pro, uh, recap show, the Rapid Reaction show uh, last night with Serta. Um, so make sure you listen to that if you missed that on the podcast channel. But you know, he kind of said it, it, the Raiders played on Sunday like the Chiefs were playing at the beginning of the year, right? In terms of just these dumb turnovers, just shooting yourself in the foot turnovers, whether it's a drop, you know, a, a not being able to secure a catch that turns into an interception, or getting the ball punched out, obviously. You know, the quarterback not able to do anything because the pass rush is just getting to him and, and, you know, he's looking awful because nothing's working in the offense. And obviously the defense just getting completely run through 
not, you know, that's, that's what the chiefs looked like at the beginning of the year. And, and that was scary. You know, that we kind of got a taste of what it's like to look to, to be a team like the Raiders where they just can't get out of their own way. Uh, you know, for when it really ca- counts, cause that's the difference. The chiefs right now are playing their best football and, and it's when it really matters, not in week five, like the Raiders, you know, thought the Super Bowl was last year in Arrowhead, but yeah, I'm going to steal uh, your point here. What's, what's the difference between the the Raiders games uh, and the the Chiefs versus the the Broncos and the Cowboys earlier this season. Yeah, exactly. No, th- that's the thing. This game isn't actually that much different. I think the Raiders really helped this game become a forty eight to nine result. But this game isn't much different from what we saw the, these last few weeks with the Chiefs offense. They just executed at a higher level. They didn't drop the ball over and over. They didn't have these. As many, they did still have some penalties, but as many drive killing penalties, they didn't, you know, and, and one way to, to point that out is I think the, there was a vanilla offense in that Denver game that we all saw. I think the same thing happened in this game. The offense just executed it better. They just executed their base offense better. Uh, you know, the opening script, the first play of the game, or the first drive of the game was two basic inside zone runs and a, and a, a basic drop back pattern that, that Mahomes couldn't, couldn't get a completion on. Um, because there was actually pressure from Wiley, uh, you know, Wiley uh, forced Mahomes out of his comfort zone a little bit. But all that to say, they didn't have this opening. They're not using these beautiful, well-designed opening scripts right now. They're just trusting the team to go out and win. And yeah, sometimes it's going to look like a 22 to nine result against Denver where they kind of had to struggle more. But sometimes when the Raiders really uh, help you out and turnover luck finally goes your way for once in this freaking season, it'll turn into a 48 to nine result. And so this team is that good to where if they really just execute the game plan they have and, you know, a few things go their way, it can turn into a blow without them even really trying. Yeah. It's turnovers. It's execution on offense. Uh, but it's also the big plays on offense coming back, whatever it was that was able to spring some bigger plays this week, whether it was better protection, whether it was uh, receivers not dropping the ball uh, Mahomes' accuracy, ball placement being a little bit better this week. But do you look down the line, Tyreek Hill had a 38-yarder, McCole Hardman had a 44-yarder, Daryl Williams, 23, Byron Pringle, 28. Uh, even you know Kelsey had a quiet day, but he had a 19-yard catch himself. Uh, Derek Gore had a 16-yard catch. So there was uh, some significant plays, multiple plays over 25, 30 yards that we haven't seen as much, um, whether it was – uh, Daryl Williams getting loose on the sideline, uh, McCole Hardman getting loose downfield, or or Mahomes going off structure, out of structure, as the name would imply, and hitting Tyreek Hill way down the field, rolling to his left uh, in just a ridiculous um, play that we're just so used to seeing. Those big plays are the difference in keeping this offense balanced and, and having this not just be a game they had to squeak out because the defense played well, but a game that they – they actually thoroughly dominated because the defense did their job and then the offense capitalized time and time again, touchdown after touchdown after touchdown, as opposed to uh, drives that may stall out because of injuries or, or I'm sorry, penalties or turnovers or, or field goals. They, they punched the ball in the end zone. They hit the big plays down the field uh, and this game was over. Yeah. And I think another way to kind of show that is, you know, Travis Kelsey didn't dominate. He he was actually held pretty pretty down pretty well. Although I will say he had a you know a couple important first down conversions early in the game um, to get things going. You know, Clyde didn't have a dominant game on the ground. The running game in general wasn't very dominant outside of a 
you know, shout out Derek Gore, a 51 yard touchdown run at the end of the game. But all that to say is, is it that really is a difference between, you know, the Chiefs offense scoring these amount of points and not is Mahomes, you know, making those big plays like like you mentioned and, and connecting on him a few times. You know, it it's it's a game of inches and sometimes it's just a little off. And that's what causes th- these drops. That's what causes, you know, uh, just a, a, a you know, we saw last week Byron Pringle, you know, Mahomes throws it, you know, f- too far for Byron Pringle on a crosser that was open because it was just a miscommunication between the two on what on on what route you know whether he should sit or whether he should keep going all that to say the offense just flat out executed a lot better than they have in recent weeks you know whether that's again because the raiders just you know made it that easy against them or not all that you know it, it just goes to show you that when they do execute in a clean fashion with no turnovers not a lot of drops it can turn into this this game and 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 this game gets extended because you know we're not going to turn into we're not going to have turnover luck like we saw where you know Balls are coming out of guys' hands, you know, left and right on the Raiders. We're not going to see that every game, and that's why it became forty-eight to nine instead of maybe just like a a twenty-eight to nine kind of game. But it still shows you that when the Chiefs are executing, they can just turn into this dominant game. It, it really can when the, the Chiefs can just suffocate a team and, and not even let them back in. Well, the real executioners on Sunday uh, was hashtag Sack Nation and the pressure that this defensive front put on Derek Carr all day long. Uh, was remarkable, and again, it started from the very first snap. They were all over this Raiders offense. Uh, Matt McMullen always tweets out so, all the good stats the next day. Uh, he put out uh, that the Chiefs pressured Derek Carr on 45% of his dropbacks. 45% Ooh. of his dropbacks he was pressured. Jones, Chris Jones had 10 pressures. Frank Clark had eight. Uh, that is a ridiculous number for those two guys. Um, and, and it's showing that the, the top end of this pass rush is as good as any in the NFL now. Uh, since week eight, Chris Jones is number one in the NFL in pressures. Frank Clark is number five in the NFL in pressures. Yes, Frank Clark, the guy that so many people wanted to get rid of after this season, many wanted to get rid of him in the middle of the season when he wasn't playing well. Uh, Clark is now uh, playing at the top of his game, at the top of the NFL when it comes to getting after the quarterback. And everybody got into the action this week. So it was led by those two guys plus Melvin Ingram. The trio of them as a pass rush uh, is looking absolutely dominant. And you've got all the complimentary guys around him getting in on the action. This week, Alex Okafor uh, got in on the action, including the biggest hit of the game, just absolutely demolishing Derek Carr. Um, Okafor had a a sack and a half, two quarterback hits. Uh, Tershawn Wharton got a sack. Uh, Ingram, Frank Jones, or Frank Clark, Chris Jones, each all contributed to sacks this week. Um, it was even with only four sacks on the game, the the pressure, uh, the pass rush was dominant. There was never a chance for Derek Carr to feel comfortable or to make a play on every single drop back. It seemed like he was in trouble. Yeah, as someone who does the Insta breakdown for ArrowheadPride.com, um, I did the defense yesterday and. You know, you pick a value, most valuable player for the defense, but I couldn't pay, pick a defensive lineman, honestly, because it was the whole group, and, and I didn't want a single one guy out. Now, you, you, you single Frank Clark out, you, you talk about four quarterback hits. I mean, what, he had a sack, too, that he beats Colton Miller around the edge, and it just didn't count because of a, a, sec, a hold in the secondary. Talk about Melvin Ingram bench pressing the right tackle into Carr's lap as, as Turk Wharton has a pass rush win to clean it up. You know, you, you talk about Chris Jones just – you know, first play of the game, actually, Chris Jones 
just has so much penetration on that run play to the left that Jacobs has to bounce outside. That gives Reed time to kind of run down that line of scrimmage and, and be able to make the tackle to punch the ball out. So all in all, the, all that to say, the defensive line was was dominant. The entire game was the whole reason this defense played well. And it's actually kind of funny. Uh, I feel like the secondary and the off-ball players didn't even get that many chances to to make plays because the defensive line was kind of hogging all you know them all with with pressures and, and sacks and all that. Obviously, we saw some good play, and we'll talk about the secondary here in a bit. But right now, this pass rush, Chris Jones, Frank Clark, and Melvin Ingram, I have to imagine they are the most feared trio of pass rushes when, when, when an offensive lineman is just sitting, getting ready for a game. You know, out of all the trios that are playing right now, I, I have to imagine dealing with Clark, Jones's size and, and sure, just strength, Ingram's ability to just just bull rush you and just kind of throw his body around and, and hit you, and then Clark's just finesse and speed. I can't imagine there's a trio of pass rushers where offensive linemen are more just like, ah, shoot, we gotta we gotta face these guys this week. Golly, like I I, I gotta imagine they're the most feared trio right now. Hey, watch watch your mouth there, Philip Rivers, with the gollies and the shoot. <laughs> Golly. Um, Shucks, <laughs> this is a. You're right though, and those guys plus uh, the the other defensive linemen. Uh, again, Jaron Reed's made a play yeah. just about every week. Um, a couple of plays this this week. They're really playing off each other. They're feeding off that energy, and it all starts up front from there on. I mean, there's not a it's not a coincidence that all of a sudden the entire secondary is playing well. The entire secondary didn't all of a sudden become great. They're playing now behind a dominant pass rush, and it's helping everybody's everybody's game. I mean, Mike Hughes had the game of his life this week, partially because he channeled his inner Peanut Tillman and and managed to put knuckles on the ball on multiple occasions, making forcing fumbles. But um, partially because the pass rush is getting there uh, in in such a hurry, and there is putting that fear into opposing quarterbacks in such a way that it makes their jobs easier. Ward looks good. Fenton looks good. Hughes looks good. Baker was good last week. I mean, the entire secondary is playing well at the same time because the pass rush is playing so well. Uh, not to take anything away from those guys, but, you know, the cornerback position is one that this that was a big worry before the season, right? It's a big worry before every season I can remember recently. The best guy – uh, on the team is Legarius Sneed, uh, who wasn't out there this week. And so the corner could have really been an issue, uh, but it's not an issue when the pass rush is getting home like it is. Well, Hughes is a great example of what they just need from their cornerbacks. Now, now Sneed and Ward and Fenton have all been playing out of their minds this year, so it's it's kind of different this year. But traditionally, with the Chiefs offense being as explosive as it can be, this defense just needs a guy that can make a play. And Hughes is obviously a playmaker. I mean, first of all, the, the opening play, his return for a touchdown, you know, he didn't force the ball out. But I do think if you watch that play, he has lightning quick reflexes in reaction to that ball coming out. That His hands are there right away. Ball could have easily gotten through his hands, under his legs, and, and just kind of been a fumble, and they all jump on it. That's why he's a great punt returner, I think. That might be why he, he's, he's a, a well-sought-after, you know, a former first-round pick. He might just have really good ball skills, and and it does seem like that. And 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 another example of that was later in the game, comes from behind and punches the ball to Hunter Renfro's hands. Yeah, you say Peanut Tillman punch. That was that was it. He comes from the comes from the back, you know, instead of the front, but punches it right out. Flies about 10, 15 yards downfield. And then the other side of that too, with with when I'm talking about these playmaking 
um, skills in the secondary. Tyron Matthew has that same ability. And, and obviously, I mean, he, he's a honey badger. I mean, we've all seen him. We all remember him at LSU. I mean, there's a reason he was a Heisman candidate because he just had this knack for the ball, just this, this God-given natural instinct. He still has that. He's not the same guy. He's not this punt returner anymore, obviously. He's not this big play. You know, he's going to pick six at, you know, every other game. It seemed like he did in LSU. His, I, <laughs> sometimes you just look back at that, man. He was, he was just a superstar in, at his own level. But all that to say. This, this secondary just has a bunch of playmakers right now just making plays on the ball. Hughes actually had another force fumble, I guess, you know, right before the end of the game, too, that Thornhill picked up. You know, this this secondary is just just making plays. That's all they need to do. They don't need to be this shutdown group of corners. They just need to create a few turnovers a game and, and let the offense do the rest. Absolutely. Turnovers have been uh, and continue to be the story of the season. I just noticed another stat that the Chiefs are now um, – they're now – even on the season in, in turnover margin, right? And they've led the NFL in, uh, since week eight in, in oh, yeah, turnover yeah. margin. Wow. Uh, they're forcing a lot of turnovers now. Early in the season, not only was the offense turning the ball over, but the defense wasn't forcing any turnovers either. So they had both sides of the equation working against them early in the season. Both sides of that equation are working in their favor now. Maybe some of that's regression to the mean, as we talk about all the time, that, that turnover luck is something that is real that the ball bounces in funny ways. It's not a round ball. It's an oblong ball. And, and and the way that it bounces and rolls sometimes goes in your favor and sometimes doesn't. But they're also making their own luck. They're forcing turnovers. They're playing complementary football. They're getting hands on the ball. They're playing with a lot of confidence. So that turnaround uh, is, is a team-wide turnaround. Uh, but the turnovers uh, will be a big part of that story. So let's let's talk a little bit about the snap counts and see if you had any specific takeaways from the snap counts from yesterday's game. Is there anything that jumped out at you in looking at the list? Yeah. So first of all, you know, you talked about it a little bit, but you know, shout out Legarius Sneed. Hope he's doing well. You know, obviously had a family tragedy. Um, you can go read about that at arrowheadpride.com. Had to miss the game. And so, and, and, and this is actually why uh, Tyron Matthew is my defensive player of the game um, for, for my Insta breakdown was because of how he, how he was called to fill in for, for Sneed. Uh, in his press conferences, Matthew talked about how he, he actually was got a call or a message, I think, at 5 a.m. Saturday morning. Uh, obviously, I guess when Sneed, you know, the, the incident went down um, after that, you know, Matthew gets a you know text at 5 a.m. saying, hey, you got to play this role. You got to play the slot. And that's exactly what happened. The Chiefs come out in their nickel package with three cornerbacks. It's Hughes and Ward on the outside, and then you got Matthew in the slot. And so what that does, is, and this is the snap count takeaway. You guys probably look at the snap counts and see Sorensen's name at 90%. And you're like, oh, no, we're, you know, we're back to giving Sorensen all the snaps. Um, you knew that was coming. You knew that was going to be the, <laughs> the talking point as soon as this list hit. Everybody scrolls right down and sees Daniel's yep. name, and and you wonder what happened. Yeah, it's a very easy explanation. Um, and 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 I don't, I'm not, I would have done a different strategy, and I'll get into that. But so yeah, they have to move Matthew into that slot cornerback position. Thornhill is now the other, you know, is 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 still in his safety position. But now you have to have Soren, Sorensen come back into that safety position where Matthew was originally, but Matthew went to the slot corner where he's filling in for Sneed. So. Uh, that that's that's why Sorensen was was playing 100% of the snaps. Uh, he didn't get 100% of snaps because the backups went in, but he was playing 100% of the starter snaps because he's also in the dime defense as well. Um, but 
what that also does too is is just the fact that yeah matthew in that slot uh he he's he's been in that position before that's actually how he came up in the league you know he's a slot player and so you know, it's, it, it was just good to see him. He led the team in tackles, had a few plays around the line of scrimmage where he made big tackles, one where he put Foster Moreau on his butt and kind of flexed on him a little bit on a third and short. Um, it was just a really fun game for Matthews, kind of an old-school game for Matthew, kind of stepping in where he doesn't usually play anymore. And that was my biggest takeaway is that, you know, the the, the secondary had to move around a little bit and and other people, you know, Sorensen, a guy like Sorensen had to get a lot more snaps and that could have been trouble. But a guy like Matthew uh, covered it up by being a, a great playmaker for the defense. Spagnolo drew some heat earlier in the season for his personnel decisions, for his in-game calls and, and preparation, uh, not being creative enough. I think he's calling uh, pretty good games nowadays. Um, he's really able to mix things up. There's There have been the right time they've been blitzing at the right times mixing up coverages at the right in the right ways shuffling players in and out and in in good rotations i mean i think there's there's a lot to be said for the job that he's doing uh during this run yeah and and i should have pointed out another thing he did is is, is so rashad fenton was in this game he was active um and rashad fenton's a guy that they could have had over hughes playing obviously but you know maybe there was some hesitation to play him full time maybe he'd still come back from his injury so, but he actually did come in and play slot position in the dime defense where Matthew went back to his original dime safety position. So all that to say, yeah, Spags is dialing it up. This is all Spags right now in terms of you see the pass rush packages that they're unveiling on third downs, not even third downs. One thing I noticed is that on, on the same series, uh, both plays were either a pressure or a sack. You had Jones on the inside and Ingram on the outside on the same side of the ball. And then I think either, either the play later, the play later, or I think a couple of plays later, resulted in a sack. Ingram was on the inside, and Jones was on the outside, so on, on the same side of the ball. So Spags is dialing it up. Spags is mixing it all up, and and it's he's obviously you know the 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 uh, he's cooking it up, and the the finished product right now is really tasty. Is the best way. <laughs> nice. Well, we had several questions about the linebacker rotation. Uh, Thomas Ramirez. The only thing he didn't like was Willie Gay's snap count. Uh, other than that, how about that defense? Uh, J.C. Proctor, why is Willie Gay not on the field more? And Nicole Pickens, eight. Did Hitchens even play? I wasn't specifically looking for him, but I don't remember seeing him at all. Um, what did you take away from the linebacker rotation in this game? Yeah, so first point is they obviously have gone back to Hitchens as the full-time Mike. Um, so when they're in nickel formations where there's only two linebackers on the field the mike and the will it'll be hitchens and gay and so that's why uh, you know the gay questions are a little confusing honestly because gay is is on the field for pretty much the entire uh you know defense i mean except for dime defenses where neiman you know that's still a thing you know one day we'll get past it guys but for now that's what's happening at dime defenses neiman is the linebacker but all that to say is gay is actually the, the linebacker probably getting the most snaps along with hitchens i guess but they will still bring Bolton in sometimes, I guess, at Mike in those nickel packages. All that to say, Bolton is only seeing the field now in base defense pretty much, which is a little sad because I do think Bolton can make more impact than Hitchens can on a snap-to-snap basis. And Hitchens didn't really make much of an impact in this game, I will say. He didn't stand out like he did. in Denver, I think, or against Denver, he did stand out to me. But Bolton, even in those limited snaps, still had two really big run stops um, that that came up big on early downs to set up the Raiders for third, second, and third and longs. And that's the important thing. That's why 
that's why this defense is excelling so much is because the run defense is setting up the third down defense into third and eights and nines and tens and not third and two, thirds and twos and threes and all that. You bet. And, and really the snap counts can be a little bit deceptive here. They don't tell the whole story. Willie Gay Jr. was at 52% of snaps, led all linebackers. Um, Nick Bolton was at 44%. Anthony Hitchens, 35%. Ben Neiman at 17% uh, of the snaps when it comes to linebackers. So that breakdown – you know, even as you as you talked about it, uh, there's a couple things hidden in there. It's it's what defenses they're in, it's what the Raiders are doing, and how the Chiefs have to ma- match up. As uh, the fact that the Chiefs played with a giant lead the entire game, um, and also the fact that uh, the second team defense got on the field towards the end of the game, and Bolton was the the lead guy in yes, that, yes. which may have pumped up his snap count just a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Bolton's a backup mic. So, yeah, when, when they go to the backup defense and Bolton's playing the mic there, and, and I think he made a few tackles in that in that phase of the game. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, the linebackers right now, I, I'm i feeling good about the linebackers. I think they're all playing well. I think Gay is starting to, you know, he continues to make plays in coverage. I don't think he made a, a, a big one in this game that I can remember. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Stack, but I don't, I don't think so. Um, but the two games before, he had two near interceptions that could have been returned for touchdowns if he would have got his hands on the ball. So Gay is becoming be, – and I actually, real quick, just a quick stat before I move on. If he makes those two interceptions, which both were attainable, he'd have four interceptions on in the year, and that'd be tied for the most with only one other player in the entire NFL uh, among NFL linebackers. And he's played four less games than um, full-time linebackers. So Willie Gay is a playmaker. He's, he's, he's proven it. He jumps off the screen whether he's on the – box score or not. I mean, he had five tackles this week. Um, uh, no plays in the box score that would show up as a big impact. Uh, but for those who watch the game and watch it closely, uh, he's he's out there. He's, he's in the mix. And his speed and athleticism and his instincts now uh, are really, really noticeable on a weekly basis. And it just shows, again, this defense is working at all levels. The front seven, uh, the secondary linebackers, everybody is is on the same page. Everybody's making plays off of each other, feeding off of that energy. But tell you what, let's take a quick break at this point. We have a bunch more questions to get to, um, but let's hear from our sponsors. We'll come right back on the Out of Structure podcast. Stay with us. Lots of good questions to cover in the second half. Uh, we'll be back right after this. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back in, Chiefs Kingdom. Thank you for sticking with us on a Monday, another Victory Monday. Chiefs beat the Raiders. We're talking about it here. And we're getting to your questions. You guys asked some good ones on Twitter following the game. And Jake Jake Wilson at Jake for now on Twitter, always asking good ones, some some good thinkers. And this is another one. So we've talked about how, you know, how perfect of a game this was, right, in terms of, you know, getting ready for a Thursday night game. Well, he asks... Which is the more valuable benefit from our swift, defensive-driven blowout of the Raiders? Is it A, the opportunity to rest key players headed into a short week against the Chargers? Or B, the luxury of showing a vanilla offense to the rest of the league approaching the playoffs? Staggs, what's your take on that? Well, I'm not so sure the offense was that vanilla. I mean, I think they they at least were aggressive. They didn't pull out a lot of trick plays necessarily. But they did a good job of mixing the pass and the run. They stayed aggressive. They kept coming after them. They were throwing the ball all the way through the fourth quarter still. Uh, there was no shutdown. There was no, you know, um, there was not a lot of the uh, the two runs and a, and a punt uh, sort of, sort of a, a philosophy where, you know, like that first drive where they had two runs, uh, a short pass, and then a punt. Uh, there, you didn't see that too much the rest of the game. They stayed aggressive. They got everybody involved. So I'm definitely going with A on this one, with the opportunity to rest key players. And like we alluded to earlier, yeah, the 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 starters saw most of the snaps. If you look at the snap counts, the backups, you know, on offense had four snaps really. Um, but the the mental break of not being in a fight for their lives and not being frustrated, uh, you know, by their ineptitude, I think that is a big thing. Um, that they can come out of this game healthy. They came out of this game with a relatively easy win uh, where they had some fun and there wasn't that uh, that stress and that frustration You know, that can really wear on a team. Going into a short week against the Chargers, I think this team should have a lot of confidence. They should be feeling pretty healthy. Um, and I think that's a, that's a big thing coming into a, a big game. So I'm going to go with A. What do you got, Ron? Yeah, I think I agree with you because one thing, which I, I do think Andy Reid's play calling, you know, what he's calling, what plays he's calling, what plays he's showing, he's not giving you his best stuff. We've already talked about that. Um, he's kind of trusting his team to kind of get through and, and you know, just just uh, win on on the base offense. But I do think the, uh, the luxury of showing a vanilla offense to the rest of the league approaching the playoffs, that luxury – was more way more important when it was Alex Smith that was running the offense, and and you only had a certain amount of plays where you really feel good about it becoming a big play. The thing with Patrick Mahomes is even if you see you know a, a, the play design of a big play with Andy, that doesn't mean you're going to be able to stop what Mahomes can do. So I don't think it's much of a luxury, honestly, that that they get to. I think Andy's just doing it. I don't think it's and Andy's probably just. I think it's a default thing. I think Andy is always. Um, kind of done that, um, and he's trusting his defense and his special teams to do it right now. But I don't think it's something to where he's he's like, oh, we desperately need to do this because I I don't tr- you know I I need to save all my best stuff for the playoffs. 
I just think they're getting away with it. And it's just a way to kind of, you know, they it's, and, and, and that's why I, my answer is a, because, you know, running a base offense and not running a lot of like these, these unique design plays where they have to be re- executed perfectly. And it's a, it's a big thinker that is mentally relaxing and a, and a mental break ahead of a short week. I think that is, is more important. Just, just having a, a, a game that they don't have to stress as much. They can kind of just coast through, execute the plays. They already know they've been running. If you've, they've been in the offense for four or five years um, and, and just kind of coast to a victory. I think that that's why I'm with you on a, well, that's the flip side of that's also true. You talked about the fact that, you know, Mahomes, um, the difference between Mahomes and Alex Smith, you know, and you don't have to necessarily call the aggressive play. The that there are so many play calls with Mahomes that may be called more conservatively, and he executes the more aggressive read. Right, so um, you can see big plays, aggressive plays happen on relatively conservative play calls, relatively vanilla play calls, it's all about execution. So if Mahomes is executing the way that he's capable of, uh, the play call is maybe a little bit less uh, of an issue. Play calling right. is only an issue when it doesn't work, right? And, and this is that should be the most obvious statement in the world, but it really comes down to that when when you've got Patrick Mahomes playing like Patrick Mahomes, you can call a simple RPO and it turns into a 75-yard touchdown. Uh when Patrick Mahomes is not executing well, that RPO is a pass in the dirt or it's an interception or, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's a big difference in the way it looks be not because of the play call, but because of how they execute it. Well, yeah. And it's the same thing with, you know, Tyree kill, you know, not every offense has a receiver where if they run a basic RPO slant pattern and, and the linebacker bites hard enough to where there is open space for a slant to be completed to the receiver not every team has a guy that can take that 75 yards, like you say, for a touchdown. Um, and, and that's just a base offensive play. And, and that's what you see a lot uh, when, when Andy gets in this mode is where, you know, it's still it's still a creative design. It's still a, a design to take advantage of what they think the defense is doing in that particular snap in terms of an RPO, in terms of, hey, we might be able to get this one-on-one, you know, you know, have Hill one-on-one at the corner and he can get 10 yards real quick. That It's still smart game planning, but, my thing is just you're not seeing the you know I I think one thing is it, is always one little tiny way you can always tell if Andy's kind of you know on in his bag and, and trying to you know call his best stuff is if you see a, a nice well designed you know misdirection reverse coming around the end with McCullough Tyreek it seems like he always gets one of those in the games that they really you know they're really trying to to get stuff going and when you don't see one of those I think it I think it it's it's a way to kind of tell that you know they're they're just, you know, they're just running their stuff, and they're going to win this game, and they're going to move on to next week. Well, I had another good question from Alex Guerrero, uh, Alex underscore Guerrero fifty five on Twitter. Uh, what will work and continue to work best? Is it the passing game or the running game? We have a couple follow up questions about the run game here, but uh, what do you think? Should they rely on the run or the pass more going forward? Yeah, well, I think they need to get to a point where they can trust the run to to really, you know, be the the reason they they can move the ball on offense. Because I do think, you know, at some point, you know, I think the Chiefs are heading to a one seed. But if they can't, you know, if they have to go to a New England or you know, even if somehow Buffalo, I know they've lost a few games, can you know, depending on where they have to go in the playoffs, I mean, sometimes you're going to have to run the ball and 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 be effective with it. Um, but at the same time, this is Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey's Tyreek Hill. This team isn't going to win the Super Bowl if if the pass offense isn't the reason you know they're winning and and they're feeling good about stuff. You know, they're 
they're not going to win the Super Bowl like the 2015 Broncos with the defense completely carrying them with a 40-year-old Peyton Manning. Um, this this just team, like as good as the defense is playing, you know, they're going to be playing a lot better teams in the playoffs and, and the playoff teams with elite offenses, elite quarterbacks are going to be playing, you know, their best football at that point and their best strategies. The offense still needs to be able to match that and still be able to put up a lot of points. So all that to say, uh, the pass offense is definitely more important than you need to be able to get that going more. I wasn't sure you were actually going to answer that question, Ron. I know. (laughs) You're really hedging your bets there, playing both sides. Um, Oh, man. I mean, it's not wrong. I mean, I think a balanced offense is is a good offense, and I think this team, in a lot of ways, is built to run the ball. These offensive linemen love to run block. Now, that's true for all offensive linemen, but these guys um, are are true maulers in the sense that the Chiefs have not had in recent years on the offensive line. I think you want to feed – um, you know, feed those guys, feed the running backs, and and get some some guys into some rhythm uh, when it comes to the run game, uh, just to keep everything loose and, and opened up. You know, so I want to see him commit to the run and stay committed to the run. Obviously, as we mentioned earlier, this team wins when they make big plays on offense, um, but I do think the running backs can be a big part of that, and and that really leads right into the next questions. Uh, Steve Williams, Stevie Williams on Twitter. Should they continue to utilize a three-headed monster at running back? Or would you rather see one guy, Clyde, get into a rhythm? Uh, he says that fresh legs on the field seemed beneficial in the Raiders' massacre. That's a good, good name for it, keeping the defense on its heels. Um, what do you think about the running back approach? Should it continue to be a running back by committee or, or not? So I think it needs to be a healthy balance like we saw this game where I do think they need to get Clyde going. They need to continue to get him into a rhythm. I think Clyde's a guy that you can kind of see. And I think Daryl was having a similar, actually, um, revolution in this season when Clyde went out. But over time, you're kind of seeing, you know, more and more just getting downhill, cutting fast, cutting hard, and it's and it's leading to bigger gains in the run game. Um, instead of, you know, Clyde has a tendency to trust his vision and trust his quick, you know, shortcut ability where he'll kind of just you know, kind of dance around a little bit and, and wait for the perfect seam. Sometimes you just got to hit little vintage Le'Veon Bell there, right? Like, yeah, right. And and Le'Veon was so good at it that you know, and that offense was so wide open. I think that was another reason why I was so good at it. But he's elite at that kind of stuff. Clyde, you know, I, I think you do have to have some. You know, I I think he is really good at that. But all that to say, I think he's starting to get more confident. I think you're starting to see that get more confident in like, hey, if there's a seam and he thinks he can fit it. That the first scene he sees, he's hitting, he's putting his foot in the ground and 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 getting downhill and going through the hole. We saw that a couple times against Denver, but then we also saw he he balanced that out with good runs where he showed vision and patience. That his second touchdown run might have been one of the best plays of his career from a rushing perspective. Reads reads the read, tries to read the hole in zone. None of the zone holes are popping up. Makes a incredible lateral cut to the outside off tackle. And, and finds room to kind of squeeze through and just pops through into the end zone. That, that is why I do think I, I want to see them get Clyde more and more into a rhythm where he's really feeling good and he's, he's constantly, you know, uh, making these big plays, even if they're not always, you know, 20-plus yard gains. You know, 8 to 10-yard gains are what this offense needs from the run game, honestly. And that's why Andy c- continues to rile in the zone. But to, to wrap it all up, it is just nice to see Clyde going. But this is not the most important time for him to be a bell cow back, right? So I do want them to continue to sprinkle in Gore 
and Williams to kind of just keep him fresh. He is still a young running back that has not played a full season in the NFL yet. Once again, Ron's sitting on the fence, hedging his bets here, not not taking a stance. Um, no, I, I I don't think it's wrong. I think I do think Clyde is a volume guy, and I think the the more comfortable he gets with this offensive line, the better he's going to be. Um, but Daryl's making some big plays too, and I, and I think the running backs in the passing game uh, continue to be a story. Uh, they were a story this week. They were the leading receivers last week in a in a slow offensive performance, but uh, this week you still got big reception out of Daryl Williams. You still got a couple receptions out of Clyde, although they weren't they weren't big plays. Um, but they're they're trying to get the backs involved in both the run and the pass. Uh, and and it, the the mix between the two go with a hot hand. I mean, I don't think it's a uh, I don't think it's a an either or situation. You need multiple running backs. Uh, and it was nice to see uh, Derek Gore get in there and, and break one loose. By the way, I forgot this on our uh, takeaways from the snap counts, uh, but Lucas Niang, the right tackle, who's been out with that rib injury uh, over the last few weeks, got in for four snaps with the backups this week. A nice, Again, a nice benefit of this game, being able to work some of these guys back from injury slowly. But watch the highlight of the Derek Gore run. Uh, Niang is, is creating a wall for Gore to, to cut off of. Uh, and and break that 51-yard touchdown. Uh, Niang is one of those guys that is just a, a phenomenal run blocker, uh, and I think we we get lulled to sleep by okay play by Andrew Wiley and pretty good play by Mike Remmers, but this offense is going to be best when Niang is healthy, he's at right tackle, and this group's able to develop some continuity as a unit uh, from now, hopefully through the next four years or more, um, Lucas Niang, I thought, uh, had at least a couple of really good snaps on his return. Yeah, I totally agree. And I'm and I actually didn't notice that you pointed that out to me as we were pre- prepping for the show. So I'm glad you did, because that might be another answer to why maybe, you know, we're not seeing the run game maybe be as effective consistently or successful as, you know, I just kind of talked about, you know, and, and we've talked about over and over how this offensive line is built to be a dominant run blocking line, you know, it, it is important to have your right tackle in there. You know, if you have a guy like Wiley who, you know, let's just be honest, he's just not the biggest guy. So he is going to get tossed around a little bit if you're running to that right side. That edge is is mostly going to be won by the defensive end because um, Wiley's just, you know, he's a pretty decent guard, but he's not a good tackle. He's been, the Chiefs have been able to mask him and, and he's done a good enough job to make it not a problem. But I do think maybe when Niang gets back in that we could see the run game kind of take off because, you know, I, I say runs to the right side, even runs to the left side. You know, if a DN cuts inside and, and Wiley just not, you know, Wiley just doesn't have the mass sometimes to to kind of get in front and, and really stop that penetration. So, you know, it, it it's just one piece, but I think that it's and it's just another microcosm of why football is the ultimate team sport is, you know, you can have the rest of your guys blocking their butts off and being really good. But yeah, if you if you have one you know weak link at right tackle, it, it brings the entire you know grade of the the unit down. So once Niang gets back in, that run game might be able to take off again and, and be really good. You know, speaking of offensive linemen, Doctor Spaceman uh, on Twitter is at uh, Corvo underscore John. Can we get Creed enough hype to win the offensive rookie of the year? He is the best center in football. Hashtag Creed for O R O T Y. Uh, what do you think? Any chance that a rookie can win Offensive uh, Rookie of the Year? 
No, unfortunately, but I'll take the opportunity to to take a victory lap, I guess, or just be excited that I feel like I've been calling ever since Mitch Morse, you know, the, the Chiefs let Mitch Morse walk in free agency. I've been wanting the Chiefs to draft a, a high pick center that they could start right away and just kind of, you know, because that's exactly what Mitch Morse did, right? You know, Mitch Morse is a little more, you know, versatile in terms of what position he could play. But all that to say is, is Creed turned out to be everything I imagined and better in terms of a guy you pick, you know, first or second round that you can start right away at center. He has an argument to already be the best center in football, and, and he might get the Pro Bowl votes uh, potentially to, to already be a Pro Bowl center his first year. Yeah, it's incredible. I, I wasn't super high on this draft pick. I, I, you know, I knew he was highly rated. I knew he was uh, had a, basically a perfect athletic score um, and based on, on the way the guys rank him. Um, and so, you know, I, I do like to see them building a dominant offensive line. I thought they would probably just scrape by at center, but to see them invest in Creed and to see him pan out in the way that he has uh, has been phenomenal. Um, he is among the best centers in the league already, which is crazy to say, um, you know, from, from a second-round rookie. But there's no way a, a center is going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. There's just – it's not going to happen. Uh, even a left tackle, it's not going to happen. I mean, you're – this is that, – that, that award, rightly or, or not, is going to go to a quarterback or a wide receiver this year. And so, no, there's nothing we can do to get that award for Creed. Uh, but he might be the Chiefs' uh, Rookie of the Year. Uh, he might get that. Uh, is it what is it? The Mackley Hill Award for, uh, for yes, rookies. Yes. Um, so uh, he's been a, a really, really good addition to this line, and uh, just a dominant force along with with Trey Smith to get two rookies on this offensive line playing as well as those two guys are is just an absolute home run in, in a year where they had to improve the offensive line. Um, you know, it's it has really, really been a revelation, and and again, hopefully. This is the start of a four or five year run or longer with this group intact playing together uh, and, and the skill position players uh, will just get better and better behind them. Yeah. And just real quick before we move on, um, I just wanted to shout out Trey Smith. You mentioned uh, there was a uh, it was actually, I think, Byron Pringle's 28 yard catch uh, right before a touchdown early in the game. Uh Max Crosby pass rushing against Wiley. Crosby does an inside spin move a lot. Uh, it's actually like his main move. Like most people don't use a spin move as their main move, but, and this is actually why it's because Trey Smith knows that times it up, waits for Crosby to, to spin back inside. And then as soon as, as Crosby's facing the inside, Smith is there to absolutely annihilate him and just put him into another dimension. Uh, Mitch Schwartz has a good clip of it from the broadcast angle. Obviously, I'll, I'll probably be tweeting out a, a film clip of it later this week. But uh, shout out Trey Smith. It's a heads up play and, and it's a, a good show of, of how the Chiefs handled Wiley being at right tackle is, you know, chips, which actually they chipped him on that play, too. But having other offensive linemen like Trey Smith to his to his left, just help him out. And, and not and like I said, annihilate Max Crosby. Go watch it if you haven't seen it. Yeah, he's, he's destroyed the over on the number of pancakes uh, in a season. <laughs> Uh, and I think he might be hitting the over on that almost on a weekly basis. Uh, that guy has been, he's been so much fun to watch and you'll never, you'll rarely hear me say that a right guard is, is a, a fun player to watch, but uh, right. he, is, he is definitely one of them. Hey, crypto karma at crypto karma nine on Twitter. Is this the most complete team of the Andy Reed era? What do you think? The most complete Chiefs team. I mean, and this goes back to a conversation we've had about the defense in recent weeks, but wasn't that, isn't that what we were saying before the season? And it just at the beginning of the season, it obviously 
wasn't the case. But now you're seeing why we believe that was the case. I still just because when you're talking about the importance of of each position and how stacked you are at those important positions, I will say I still think the 2019 team with a healthy Sammy Watkins, he did not miss. I think he might have missed one game that year, but when we're talking specifically 2019, that version of the Chiefs, Sammy wasn't missing games, and he was a part of that offense. And I do think that team with Sammy Watkins as that number two, I'm still worried that that's going to be a problem in the, in the playoffs this year is that the Chiefs don't have a go-to option besides Kelsey and Hill. They did have that in 2019, and that's why they won a Super Bowl. And so that's why I will give the edge maybe to the 2019 team to be the most complete team. Because this defense is play, playing better than that t- defense did, but not by that much. That 2019 defense still deserves a lot of credit for being really, really good when they needed to. Yeah, this is why I get so annoyed at especially early season um, complaints when the team hasn't quite come together yet. Yeah, When the Chiefs were struggling, there were calls for Brett Veach's job. There was, there was a lot of talk about this team just didn't have the talent to compete and how – uh, they've just squandered all of these draft picks and they they've made bad trades and it's just the composition of this team is wrong I mean it was the criticism was was scathing it was up and down the roster um, and it was all based on a bad run of games you know a, a handful of games with a lot of mistakes and turnovers poor execution and then uh, all of a sudden we're writing off the talent level of this team when Coming into the season, you're right. I did say this was the best Chiefs roster they've had. I did say it was the deepest roster they had. I thought they had the best defensive uh, rotation potential uh, that that I've seen. I thought you had enough young players that were coming into their own and had a chance to break out this season, especially on defense. You talk about Snead and Willie Gay, um, Nick Bolton. You've got a ton of youth that that is working their way into starting lineup. They're working their way into learning how to play together. You have a young offensive line that's learning how to play together. You've got uh, talent all over the field. Uh, now, you're right, there may be some depth issues, especially when it comes to receiver. Uh, it's a week-to-week basis whether that whether or not that's a problem. Some weeks they look great. Byron Pringle makes plays, and then the next week nobody makes a play, and we're complaining about the receiver depth again. Um, I still think there's a little bit of hope. Uh, for Josh Gordon, now that he's on the board with his first Chiefs touchdown this week and a second reception, um, it's really great to see them get him involved. Even if it's only two small catches, it might be a taste of what they can do with him. By the way, in another screenshot that I wish I could tweet out, uh, you, you got to see when Josh Gordon lines up on the same side of the field as Tyreek Hill. It is comical <laughs> the size difference between those two. It is uh, it looks photoshopped. It is it is just insane the difference between those two players. So there's a there was a broadcast camera angle from the sideline where on the near side it was Gordon on the outside and, and Tyreek Hill on the slot. And it and it looked it looked completely distorted, completely out of out of out of a size and scale because he's a massive individual and and he's the, he brings an element to this offense that maybe nobody other than Jody Fordson brought to this offense. Uh, and since he's been out with injury, uh, there's that element that's been missing. Uh, Noah Gray hasn't got there yet, uh, but I think Josh Gordon could. And so I do think this is the, the most complete team of the Reed era. And I think there's a lot of freezing cold takes out there for people who wanted Brett Veach's head on a stick when the team just wasn't executing to their ability. 
when they execute to their ability, you see that this roster has stars at the top. They've got role players in between, and they've got some bottom of the roster guys that still have a chance to develop. Um, again, you see it, Derek Gore, whenever he gets a chance, uh, is busting off big plays. I mentioned Byron Pringle earlier. Um, he's not a top of the roster guy, but he's a role player uh, that often, when he gets the opportunity, makes a big play. Uh, and on defense, even when you think he's the worst player in the league, uh, Daniel Sorensen can come in and have a game like last week where he makes a game-changing play, like this week when he's not really highly visible, but he has a couple of pass breakups and and plays 90% of the snaps, and the defense is absolutely dominant. So the roster is constructed in a way for a reason, and just because they don't perform in the short term does not mean that they, they don't have the talent uh, that we thought they did. It's all about execution on the field. When they execute, they show that, yes, this is a well-rounded, this is a complete team, and I'm going to get off my soapbox here, but it's, it's just so frustrating to hear that, that criticism early in a season when they're in a slump uh, before you've seen the whole thing play out. Yeah, speaking of execution, um, you know, you talk about Josh Gordon. I'm glad we got a, a mention in for him before the pod ends because it was cool to see Andy Reid get a design uh, pass pattern to Josh Gordon. It was a very simple design, nothing special whatsoever. Um, still a good design, though, so an easy way to get in the ball. But um, also had a, an out, you know, five or seven yard out that, that got completed. So it was good to see Gordon get the ball in his hands. You know, you could tell he was – He's probably, you know, waiting for that touchdown. It's been a long time coming. I think I saw Pete Sweeney tweet out that it was 800 days between uh, NFL touchdowns for Josh Gordon. So cool to see him, you know, kind of had the work, uh, you know, uh, come together for him. But another guy that we haven't mentioned yet much, I guess, today, but, you know, McCole Hardman had had a big play for for once. You know, we haven't seen a, a, a deep pass to McCole that got completed um, since the Washington game, which that was one of his better plays of his career. We talked about that on the pod when it happened. Hadn't seen it since, and you know, as as encouraging as as a big play from him is, uh, you know, in a vacuum. Uh, unfortunately, it was just more of a uh, you know corner slipped. McColl, you know, noticed that obviously went deep. Mahomes noticed they they had, and or I should say, fortunately, it was you know we've seen some miscommunication issues between the two in the past. That time they were on the same page. Mahomes just got the ball out there before the safety could get over. McColl makes a play. And and that's a 44 yard gain that really jump started the offense. It was actually on the second drive of the game. So um, yeah, good for McCall to, good for McCall to make a play. I was thinking about that, and and you know each week I have to write these pieces for Arrowhead Pride about uh, who's trending up and down and who the winners and losers are. And inevitably, and I think uh, poetically, whenever I call somebody out, uh, they, they it seems like they perform the next <laughs> week. I know it has nothing to do with me. It's just ironic and funny. Uh, maybe showing just how wrong I am. But every time I call out McCole Hardman for being done, he comes up and makes some plays. Um, you know, every time we're about to give up on somebody uh, or criticize somebody, you know, Dan Sorensen obviously is another example of that. Uh, they tend to come back and make a play. Uh, that's why, again, you can't judge somebody's talent based on one game or one play. A couple quick uh, uh, questions to close this thing out. Uh, Black Elf 19 at uh, Little Boa 6624 on Twitter. Favorite former chief and favorite current chief. All right. So favorite current chief right now. And and when you say current, I'm talking to the second. Uh, you know, you can't hold me to who I who I changed to it throughout the season. Frank Clark is my favorite chief right now. And that actually ties into who my favorite past chief is going to be. 
Um, because I when they're when a good edge rusher is playing well and truly flying off the ball, and hey, I wasn't alive for most of Derek Thomas's prime, but you know, I, you know, I was I I was much more of a enough of a Chiefs fan in my childhood to to watch plenty of clips and all that to say, man, when a fly, an edge rusher is flying off the the ball and and getting around that corner and really, you know, you can see them coming for the sack, especially from the left tackle. Uh, you know, when when the, he's almost like facing the the camera, you can see his face his face mask. Frank Clark is my favorite chief right now. And then in the past, uh, shout out Justin Houston. He's still playing. Um, I, I always, I don't know. I, my 2014 was a really, you know, big year, you know, Andy Reid's second year and Justin Houston had 22 and a half sacks. Really cool to see him have that big year. And I don't know. I've always just really enjoyed him. Didn't end well, I guess in Kansas city, it was kind of a weird end to his career here. The injury, he never was, was the right, right after that knee injury, but uh, shout out Justin Houston. He's one of my favorite past chiefs. Well, I'm going to go way back in the in the past Chiefs uh, to to things I remember earlier on in my Chiefs uh, you know, fandom. Uh, I'm going to talk about Christian Okoye uh, being, you know, just a, a guy where they just broke the mold when they made him. They don't make people that big and that strong and that fast uh, with shoulder pads the size of his, that he he wore at the time. Uh, he was so much fun to watch. Uh, him just absolutely take souls uh, in in the way that that only probably Derrick Henry does uh, today. But uh, watching Christian Okoye run, even if it was uh, three yards in the cloud of dust, um, it was still uh, demoralizing for defenses because uh, there was just no stopping that guy in, in his physical profile. Um, in my uh, current current day Chiefs, the, the obvious answer is Patrick Mahomes. There's, there's nobody like him in the NFL, and he really seems to be doing things uh, the right way, you know, in, in his life and off the field. Uh, he's such an easy guy to root for. I don't see how anybody is not a huge Patrick Mahomes fan. But for this week, uh, for this week and, and actually the last few weeks, I'm going to say Legereus Sneed because uh, you know, he's going through a lot right now. He's obviously had a really uh, tough life and, and a lot of things have, have been stacked against him over his lifetime. And to lose – you know, uh, someone so close uh, to him in, in a week just puts the whole NFL game in perspective to say there's there's a lot more to life than that. But when he's on the field, he's also arguably the best player on the defense. And, and because of everything that he can do uh, against the pass, against the run, uh, how sound he is in tackling, how much of a ball hawk he is, and how there's still so much more upside uh, to his game. So uh, hopefully Snead is a chief. Uh, for a long time to come, and his career continues to ascend, um, you know, and and uh, uh, you know thoughts and thoughts and prayers to his family and and loved ones uh, in, in a really tough time right now. One more question to close this thing out. How about uh, Steve Williams? It's time to put a bow on the AFC West. Uh, besides the Chargers using Eckler in the passing game and Jared Cook beating Dirty Dan on a route or two. What are the biggest concerns going into L.A. on Thursday night? Would it be shutting down the big play to Mike Williams? This goes back to the theme of the day from Ron mentioned earlier today. He really thought this Raiders game was a great one to be able to enjoy a win, but then immediately move on uh, and start focusing on a, on a big game next week. Uh, what do you think about uh, the challenge of play, playing the Los Angeles Chargers? Yeah, well, if there's one thing the Chargers have obviously been bad at, it's it's run defense lately. So I think it's a prime opportunity, like we've been talking about, for the Chiefs to get the run game going, rely on that, and and the and 
at, at the same time, Chargers offense has kind of been stagnant. Just trust your defense to continue to make plays. Um, and then obviously, you know, I think Andy will have a few things up his sleeve to kind of, you know, put the, uh, the icing on top, but I don't know. Chargers are dealing with a lot right now, injury wise, COVID wise, and just, you know, they, they, they've been, they played better football. So I, I think the chiefs have, you know, have, should be feeling good about their, their chances going into Thursday. Yeah, getting the run game going, getting the pass rush going as well. I'd love to see this defense turn up the heat against a really good quarterback. Um, you know, it's one thing to to blitz and and pressure, um, you know, Derek Carr and, and quarterbacks that are less than, lesser than him in, in recent weeks, uh, including the entire uh, Denver Broncos uh, organization. It's nice to see the the Chiefs get the job done from a pass rush perspective there. But the Chargers have a great young offensive line, and they've got one of the better young quarterbacks in the NFL. If they get it, if they get the pass rush going this week, and they're able to pressure Justin Herbert and get to him and and make him make bad decisions, make him make bad plays, you know this is uh, this defense is for real. I already think it is, but it's a great proof point for them heading into the stretch run. They get it done in the pass rush, and they're able to run the football uh, against the Chargers. Uh, I think, like like uh, Steve says here, the AFC West has a bow on it. It's wrapped up, uh, just like this podcast, Ron. Let's go ahead and, and close it out there. Finish strong, uh, just like the Chiefs this week. Uh, it's nice to see a, a good, easy Chiefs victory. Victory Mondays are always more fun. Hopefully, we got another uh, victory Friday uh, coming up this week. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, for the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, for the Out of Structure podcast, please make sure you're out there rating, rating and reviewing. Uh, positive reviews only uh, for, for, for our podcast and the rest of the network. Uh, make sure you're listening and enjoying a lot of good stuff out there. Um, you know, it's a great time to be a Chiefs fan, and, and they're heading into the stretch run. So uh, stay tuned because there's more good stuff coming on the Out of Structure podcast in this Chiefs season. Uh, we will talk to you next week. more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.